0: Hello and welcome to this week's Alpha podcast with myself, John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle, and Phil Oakley. How are you doing, Phil?
1: Yeah, I'm good, thanks, John.
0: Are you okay? Yeah, not too bad. I'm still on holiday, technically, so uh, here we go, having another break from, uh, from the, uh, the lovely weather outside.
1: Yeah, it's a bit grim.
0: Grim. Uh, talking of grim, uh, let's talk about the markets. As I said, I've, I'm still on holiday, so not paying an enormous amount of attention, but it's hard to miss some of the sort of political stuff that's going on in the background, and that is how you uh, introduce your, your thoughts this week, uh, political risk and the rising political risk that we're seeing both in the UK and the US. What's, uh, what's going on, Phil? There's,
1: there's lots going on, is, is the short answer. Unless you've been asleep, you can't f- fail to have sort of um, taken on board um, what went on in America the other night with the, the, the first presidential debate, which was an absolute disgrace to, to both parties, actually. And showed showed what a really a real mess. Um, you know, political. You know, the political. There's a lack of political leadership there, and it has it has. Um, I think I think the uh, potential to cause a lot of trouble because you know it's quite clear that the choice the choice facing the American people isn't brilliant. Whoever wins. Um, the president seems to be suggesting that if he loses, he won't accept it. And if uh, if Biden wins, then I think there's a very good chance that um, a lot of the tax cuts that Trump put through uh, will either get partially or fully reversed, which means that American consumers will have less cash in their pockets and American company profits uh, may not be as high as people expect them to be.
0: Yeah, but most people uh, at the moment, certainly the polls suggest that Biden's going to win. But you think that that is probably a bit of a sort of lazy standpoint, and that we should definitely take into account the possibility that, that Trump does win through here. I think it's possible. Yeah, I mean the polls.
1: The polls are very funny. You know, in some of them they are all done slightly differently, and you can take a national a national poll which you know puts Biden a long way ahead but it's not it's not the popular vote that counts here it's the electoral college and you know we know we know 4 years ago that Hillary Clinton comfortably won the popular vote but Trump won the electoral college and i suspect you know not professing to be any kind of expert on this but it'll come down to half a dozen half a dozen swing states and um I think don't underestimate the, the mindset of the American voter when they go into a poll booth. Um, probably the foremost thing uh, on their mind is, which, which, which one of these two guys is best for my wallet? And I think, you know, it comes back to the sort of cringeworthy, cliche, it's the economy stupid stuff that we had back in 1992. And it's pretty much right um you know american american you know most people will will put their own self interest above everything else despite you know whatever they think of the current current president and um that will have a big big um big say on how people vote and i think a lot of people who either are not saying or saying they won't vote for trump might vote for trump so you know We'll see, but I think I think the uncertainty is there. The market seems pretty relaxed about it at the moment, but we know that the market can be relaxed about lots of things. You know, if we look back to the, the referendum in 2016, you know, the, the market didn't didn't go to bed on the 23rd of June 2016, thinking anything was anything shocking was going to happen, and it, and it did. And I think these these events have always um, have the potential to surprise.
0: Yeah, the, the market seems to have been pretty relaxed, and perhaps perhaps a bit too relaxed about the possibility of the COVID second wave, which you also talk about, um, which has which has come back um, uh, to, to hit certainly certainly markets like the UK, where there is a lack of, lack of technology, for example. Um, you know, should we be worried that this, this uh, pandemic crisis is going to deepen? Is this something that you're another layer of uncertainty to, 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 to lay over all of this that, that's making things very difficult for investors to position themselves?
1: Yeah, I think so. I, I, my, my concern at the moment is that the government is, you know, appears to be acting like a rabbit in the headlights. It doesn't, it doesn't seem to know what to do. It seems to flip-flop. From one one position to another, and it's very confusing and you know I, I know it says that it doesn't want to do a second lockdown, but I wouldn't be- and I hope there isn't a second lockdown, but i my fear is that there will be that if that if the number of cases continues to rise and we saw a bit of sort of a bit of a pause in the number of cases yesterday if if these start to go up a lot. I wouldn't be surprised if they just panic in some way and, and go for lockdown. They're trying to go for these local lockdowns. And I think the key, the key thing here is, you know, will, will the public accept this? I, I, think, I think the government has to be very careful not to lose the goodwill of the public.
0: Might be a little bit too late for that. I think lots of people are very, very cross. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. I
1: think it probably is too late. But it's interesting, you know, you have the mayor of Middlesbrough yesterday who came out and said, we're, we're just not going to accept this. So, yeah, I, I I, think this is this is a big, a big concern.
0: Yeah. So this must be a concern for, for, for companies profits in the, the sort of months ahead, the, the winter months. You know, companies that have had a little bit of breathing space throughout the sort of summer uh, and, and early autumn now face more uncertainty over their earnings. We are seeing uh, lots of um, trading updates and earnings reports coming through from companies which pretty much relate to the period after sort of lockdown began. And there, and there have been tentative signs of recovery for a lot of them. But, you know, it's something you referred to in your report. There was, there was so much uncertainty that, that actually a lot of companies um, really downplayed their, 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 their sort of forecast earnings because they really didn't know what was going on. Now there's a little bit more confidence, but that could be taken away again
1: yeah yeah uh, I, I, it's interesting. i think I think we touched on this last week um and I think I refer to something that was either on either in, in the magazine or on our on our website about the amount of forecast upgrades that are coming through into the market yeah, that was the
0: ideas farm that we uh that that algae hall has introduced
1: and I think that's a re- you know that's a really good piece I uh, recommend you know if you listen to this and you're a subscriber, go and have a look at that because it's really, really quite interesting. And, you know, there's potential here. There's potential here for big short-term upwards moves in, in share prices when, when companies come out, and you know, who have low-balled it, have low-balled expectations because they just don't know and they want to play it safe. And they come out and say things are a bit better. I mean, we had Diageo this week, um, which is one of the first companies to sort of highlight back in February what was going on in China and, and the impact that it was going to have on their profits when all the bars and hotels were shut. And they've now got a sort of gradual opening up effect, but also more people are drinking at home. And it's doing okay and the profit forecast has moved up and the share price has done really well this week. And I think this, this is an area for in, investors or maybe traders traders to focus on. But on the other side of that coin, if the economic activity swings back in a bad way, these are exactly the same kind of shares that are going you know, to go down again.
0: Which is, which is, I guess, why you say it's more of a trader's market than anything else at the moment. You, you've got these, uh, it's volatility, basically. Big ups, big downs, potentially, if the outlook becomes more uncertain again.
1: Oh, yeah. There's, there's a huge, you know, there's a huge sort of volatility mix here. Great for IG Index and, and the likes of them because uh, they, their profits love volatility. But um, yeah, there's, and it's, it's very, very hard. I mean, you know, you look at companies like Greggs and, you know, Compass Group, the contract caterer, uh, companies that have been really hammered by the lockdown, by transport, tran, you know, transport um, footfall going down, you know, they, they're coming out and saying, look, they, we just, we we don't know what's going to happen. And, and then you look at these businesses and you think yeah, these businesses have been permanently damaged. You know, there's, there's arguably a significant permanent loss of value to these businesses because people's habits, either in work or leisure, will probably change for good in, in some kind of way. And that means fewer visits and fewer transactions
0: yeah which we will come back to Greg. is one it's one of the companies i know that you were keen to talk about this week i mean one of the companies that has really benefited from a change in habits and which also saw one of those big price spikes you spoke about um just a minute ago was halfords so you know the cycling but the lockdown cycling boom has really been an amazing tailwind for this business and and its numbers were really good that came out with this week yeah,
1: they were really good. And and I think the share price was up 30% yesterday um, because there was, again, a big upward move in profit profit guidance. Cycling's um, so an interesting one uh, for, for Halfords because if you talk to the sort of moderately serious cyclist, uh, I sort of class myself as not a serious cyclist, but I'm sort of halfway in between the sort of person who rides down to the shops and, you know, will do the odd, you know, hundred K sportif. You know, I tend to ride my bike three times a week in the summer. We've got, you know, we've got a reasonable amount of kit. I would never go to Halfords to to get anything for, for cycling. I've I've had really, really poor service there and I, most of my friends who I ride with have the same view.
0: Is this just cycling snobbery, Phil?
1: No, there isn't. You know, uh, there is a lot of snobbery in cycling, in terms of equipment and that kind of thing. But Halfords, Halfords have a, a reputation of, shall we say, very variable in-store service. On, you know, I, I've bought bought a bike from Halfords once, and. I brought it home and I took it to my local bike shop to have it put back together again because it was put together so badly. Um, but, you know, the general public probably doesn't have the same view and sees it as the kind of default place to go and buy a bike, which is good from an investment point of view. Now, move on a bit. Halford has got another business which I think is very good and it's um it's a it's an online cycling business and it's called treads t r e d z .co.uk and this is this is a this an online online business selling cycling accessories cycling kit and i've used this a couple of times and i'm extremely impressed with it um quality of product um range of products, prices, delivery experience has been really, really good. Um, I used to use a company called Wiggle, which listeners might be um, um, familiar with. And and they've built up a big presence in, you know, not just cycling, but also things like running kit as well. Um, I think treads, treads from a cycling, buying cycling kit, I will use treads now rather than Wiggle.
0: Well, that's, that's good. for. I mean, for Halfers, this sounds like a company that's starting to get, get an online presence, an online strategy going in the right direction.
1: And, but it's a differentiation between the online experience and the in-store experience. And I think maybe, maybe and, I'm, and I'm bullish on this, from, from um, attracting the more serious cyclists, who may not go into a Halford store to buy kit, but may, but, but may certainly go onto a, a website like Treads. Um, I think there's a lot of potential in Treads. And, you know, we've seen, we've seen you know, the, if you can get the economics right, the delivery, get the cost base right, get your logistics costs right, and most importantly, you shift a lot of volume, then you can do very well. And um, I think this is really bullish for Halfords. Don't forget, I mean, there's a lot of competition in this space. Yeah, I mean, you know, you've got the likes of, you know, Chain Reaction, Wiggle, Evans. Um, You know, there's a lot of competition for the serious cyclists. So I think it's positive. How how, how positive, I don't know, but it's certainly something worth looking into.
0: Yeah. Should we stick with online and talk about Boohoo, which had some very good numbers this week? I mean it's a controversial company, obviously being in the papers a lot due to some of its uh labour practices or the labour practices of its suppliers, but the numbers look amazing. What do you think of these, Phil? They do
1: Yeah, they are you know you can't find much much to fault with this. Um Very good. You know, the, the ability this company um, to keep churning out impressive levels of of revenue growth at quite high margin as well, um, certainly compared to the likes of the likes of ASOS, um, and generate you know the cash generation was very impressive. Um, although that was that was due to a, a swing a swing on the working capital. But if you look for red flags, you know. You know, one of the things that you you look for in a business like this, particularly particularly a retail business, is you look for things like you look for overtrading, signs of overtrading. So you look for things like rising creditors, trade creditors being more reliant on creditors. You look for you know excess stock. You look for poor stock control, and they're not you're not seeing any of any of these kind of red flags with a business like this. Where where it gets more interesting is when you take a take a step back and you, you just you just get back to basics with this and, and try and try and think how a company grows. And you know if you're an investor in Boohoo, you look at these numbers coming through you think these are absolutely fantastic. And you have a big smile on your face and right and rightly so. But I think a lot of a lot of people don't actually realise how difficult it is to actually create the conditions for that growth. You know, the amount of work that has to go behind the scenes, in th- you know, in, in your supply chain, and you know, investing in warehousing, fulfilment, logistics, and co- coping with growth is is a real challenge for businesses. And whilst the numbers suggest that the company's doing pretty well on this, and if you actually look at the investments that are in the pipeline, um, this is a company that is going to do about one point six billion in sales this year, and they reckon that in two years' time it's going to have the capability to to be able to do about three point six you know from its from its capacity but then then you sort of get back to the issue that's reared its head a couple of months ago about about its supply chain and you think well okay this is this is where things get interesting and you think you know how's has the company dropped the ball here in that it's been growing so quickly that its supply chain hasn't been able to keep up the suppliers have then subcontracted because um the company went into a great length this week about how it's going to try and sort out its supply chain and subcontractors were were to the fore. And this is where, you know, the Sunday Times pounces and, you know, starts writing its articles and and
0: Yeah, to be fair, it wasn't the the, the Sunday Times article that was the first uh source of these these concerns. Who's been growing through these concerns that have that have existed for several several years, you know this. Uh, it was, it's, surprising, oh, yeah. it's surprising that it took so long, as far as I'm concerned, for this to become uh, the issue, the hot potato that it recently has, and for Boohoo to then turn around and start addressing them and saying, "Well, you know, we didn't we didn't know anything was going on because the concerns had been raised."
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, it doesn't take you know, it's not difficult. You know, I mean, you walk into a shop and you're buying something that costs less than a five. And, you know, you can apply you can apply the same issue to, you know, walking into the supermarkets and walking into places like Primark. And you just think, how on earth can these companies sell these goods and make a profit from it? And, you know, Boohoo has come out, come out this week and said, look, we don't make a profit when we sell a, sell a dress for five quid. And we certainly can't make it make a profit if that dress is made in. England. But I but I think there's a more serious issue here people talk about management and they place a lot of emphasis on management here and it's quite clear that there's there's been a there's been a failure of management here not just executive management I'll also say you know what what do non-executive directors do in a business like this you know non-executive directors are there to you know hold hold the main board to account um, you know, good non-executive directors know their company well, and I I find it a little bit shocking to to think that the chief executive of any business doesn't know what's going on behind the scenes. I mean, it, don't get me wrong; there you know they can have the wool pulled over their eyes. People can be dishonest, and you know there are there are times when people don't know what's going on, but you know. These directors are paid a lot of money. The non-executive directors are, you know, picking up 75 grand a year, uh, which is not bad money. And you just think, well, what, you know, has there been, been a failure of corporate governance here? I think there probably has. And um, this this store is not finished yet. Um, and I think it will be interesting to see how it develops. I mean, hopefully for the company's sake, it can draw a line under this. I think it's reacted in a quite honest and commendable way. It's put its hands up and it said, you know what? There are things here that we would rather not see and we're going to try and put them right. I think that's good.
0: Yeah, not not enough though to not enough though to tempt you to to add the shares to one of your uh, your portfolios. I guess the I guess the price is a little bit off putting, but but these problems that 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 are, you know still in in the midst of being resolved, I guess are a bit of a a cloud.
1: I'd rather not, you know, I'd rather not see things like that, but I I just think fashion is, you know, it's a it's a fickle business. It can change, it can change very quickly. Um and it just just a personal Personal weakness an investing weakness of mine. It's just not businesses that I I feel I have a feel for. What what I do think is beyond any doubt is that this is a company that's very ambitious. Um, it has a very, arguably, quite aggressive strategy. Um, it has three hundred and fifty million pounds of cash sitting on its balance sheet. So. I think it's a question of when, not if, it's going to buy some more brands. And it clearly wants to be, you know, a global fashion player. And its overseas business is growing brilliantly. And whilst, you know, I, I, I don't feel entirely comfortable with understanding it, it would not surprise me if this company's share price is materially higher in, over the next five years.
0: Yeah. I mean, we have, though, seen other uh, very ambitious online retailers, you know, do do extremely well for a while, and then it all sort of seems to fall apart. ASOS being one of them, but, you know, Superdry was the the next big thing. Yeah. Ran into trouble. And obviously, looking back even further, you've had French Connection, which was the same sort of thing. More recently, Ted Baker. So, yeah, you're right. It's a very, very difficult business, and... uh, you can ride the way for a while, but as you say, fashion is a fickle friend. Should we, should we move away from fashion and talk about something a bit more humdrum? Uh, pasties and sausage rolls. Greg's. So, you know, Greg's it's not in a great spot when it comes to COVID-19. What can it do? This, this, this was a quality share. This was a share everyone wanted to own and was, was going gangbusters, and it's just been stopped in its tracks.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's, really, it's a great shame. I, it's really sad. Um, this, this is, this has been a great company for, for many, many years. Um, it's a company I, I have very high regard for. Um, I, I, I like companies that, that offer great value for money to their, to their customers. And Greg's has, has always done that. And it's been able to do it because, you know, it's taken control of a lot of its supply chain and it it has a has a business model that's very, very efficient. It can offer very good prices and if it sells lots of it, it can make good money. And that's exactly what it's been doing. And it's also proven to be a really adaptable business in the past. You know, this is not the first challenge that it's had to face. It's the biggest challenge it's had to face, but... You know, the company has done extremely well by moving away from the high street where you have fewer people visiting. And it's moved, moving a lot of its shops away from high streets where, where there are fewer people going there to places where lots of people were going, such as train stations, bus stations, university campuses, airports, motorway service stations. Now, apart from motorway service stations, the other lot have been absolutely hammered.
0: It, it looks very much like the W.H. Smith strategy uh, being applied to, to, to pastries and cakes and, and whatever else it may be. Definitely, and, and, yeah. And that was a good strategy. That was a good strategy worked for W.H. Smiths. But now, obviously, they're in a similar position. Yeah. What, what does a company like Greg's do?
1: I'm not sure what, can, what it can do. Um, I think the company have have shed some light that there are there are some of its stores now that probably don't stack up from a financial point of view. Um, you know, sadly, I think some Greg's employees are gonna lose their jobs. It's gonna try and, you know, do do delivery stuff. I mean it how I mean it started to sell it started to sell frozen sausage rolls in Iceland a few years ago. And it's now teamed up with um I think it's just eat. Um, they've teamed up with and then they're also doing more sort of click and collect stuff and I think that will probably work that will probably work whether it whether it can you know get get the company's profits going as good as they were a year ago I'm not so sure Um, you know a lot of people talk about you know things like the lunchtime trade you know the the workers coming out of their offices and going to Greg's for their for their lunch, and um, you know if people are working at home, that trade's going to be smaller. So I think you know this is this is a business where there's been arguably or will arguably be a permanent loss of value there.
0: Yeah, I, I can see that. I mean, Greg's. I mean, if you take the city, there is a there is a Greg's near the office, and there's always a huge queue out of it. But that's I think that's partly because Greg's is not very well represented in in london at least uh certainly certainly in the city side of things but you know london is a bit of a weird case when it comes to, to like working from home because of the, na- the nature of the business is there it doesn't necessarily apply the same logic the same problem across the rest of the country fewer people are, wor- are working in the office in london but that's not necessarily the case everywhere
1: no i mean I, I think you know if if we get i mean we talked talked right at the beginning here about companies that have the potential to surprise. And, you know, Greg's, Greg's definitely fits in, into that, um, that category, that if we get a resolution to the, you know, the current goings-on and we get a bit more norm- normality creeping back into our, our everyday life in terms of work patterns, travel patterns, then you can see profits recovering um, quite nicely in a business like this. And um, you know, if you were buying, I'm not saying you should buy Greg shares today, but if you bought some, bought some uh, Greg shares today, uh, and, you, and you're patient, there's some risk, but it might pay off. It's the kind of business that could come back.
0: It also feels like a business for you know, straight straightened times. So, I mean. You know, we undoubtedly face difficult economic conditions in in the years ahead. That's going to affect lots of people, uh, lots of people's uh, incomes. Uh, And and Greg, as you as you said earlier, you know, it's it's a company that's set up with products at the right right price point for uh, for perhaps a market that's watching the pennies a bit more.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, This 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 is still you know, you look under the bonnet. This is still a very good company with with very good um, very good strategy, good products. And, you know, it's got a great customer offer, the sort sort of things that you should always be looking for in, in an investment. It just needs the wind to change direction. It just needs a bit of luck and a bit of help. And if it gets that, then... It, 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 could do, it
0: could do very well. Uh, let's talk about another retail business um, that is doing very well. Um, it's, it's one you wrote about in your uh, magazine column a few few weeks ago, Costco. Um, it's a big American, um, essentially a wholesale or a cash and carry type retailer, but it's obviously got a big presence over here. I know you're a customer. Um, what's going on here? That share price is a very different share price to Greg's. Yeah, it's, I have to
1: say uh, this, is, this is one of the nicest businesses that I've ever looked at. It ticks so many boxes, and it and it's. If you're looking for, if you're looking for an example of a business where all the stakeholders that are involved in it, so I'm talking customers, employees, suppliers, shareholders, can all do well because of a strategy. Costco is a great example of this. It's an extremely well managed business. It's very top line focus. It's very sales driven focus. And it's, it reminds me a lot. It's a very similar sort of strategy to Amazon in that it, it's not looking to make fatter and fatter profit margins. It's actually use it, you're going to use any efficiencies and it's going to reinvest them in lower prices so it can sell more stuff because it has a business model that it can leverage and um, make very very good returns for shareholders even with a low low margin and the results were out last week and you can just see evidence of this um you know this the volume is extremely good you know they're growing you know i know they've had some they've had some help from covid um more bulk buying and obviously it's a bulk buying experience it's not the sort of place you pop in for a pint of milk and a bar of chocolate you know you, you know, you go in there and you're walking out with 100, 200 quids or $200 worth of stuff. Um, but it offers it offers tremendous value. It's sort of it's very much tuned into this sort of discount retailer, but it's not. It's selling good stuff in terms of branded stuff, private label stuff. And it follows this really successful business strategy of concentrated buying Selling a very, very narrow range of products, concentrating the buying power, making the business efficient and things like own label, bakeries, um, that kind of thing, logistics, passing those benefits on to customers and creating this virtuous circle of growth. And, you know, Costco is making 3% profit margins, but it's making nearly 18% return on capital. Um, you know, double what something like a Tesco is making. And um, it's still got a lot, of, a lot of scope to grow, particularly in America. You know, it's still very underrepresented in, in America. And the, and the interesting thing now is it's got, it's got an online. Um, it's moving into online and it's doing online in a very clever way. You know, it's doing it so it can make a profit you know, in terms of how it's set up, its logistics and delivery. And, you know, the profits are moving up. And, you know, this is a company that, you know, even despite the costs of COVID, you know, had a 15% increase in operating profit last year. You know, you look at the UK retailers, they've had a lot of sales, but their profits aren't going up because the costs that they've had to put in have, have offset the, the actual revenues. But, you know, Costco is paying its workers, a two-dollar premium on their hourly rate, and it's still making good money. Um, this, is, this is a fabulous company. Uh, if I could own lots of this PA, I would, but I can't. It comes across as being a very honest, honorable company that treats everybody well, and, everybody, and, it, and it's to show that if you've got a business model like this, Everybody can win. Now I'm sure there are people who, who are customers who are grumpy about it and you probably find suppliers that might have a whinge about any business. But I just think that this is a, a really, really impressive business.
0: Sounds like a, a, a good management story, um, you know, contrasting what we, with what we were talking about earlier about a bad management story. Interestingly, you mentioned a uh, comparison there with, with UK retailers. Um, did, was I, am I, did I see this week, did I notice flashing up on Twitter that Ocado had overtaken Tesco to become the UK's biggest retailer? That is correct. Is it still the UK's biggest retailer? Because I know that Ocado, I also noticed flashing up on Twitter that Ocado is being sued by is it a Norwegian rival over some of its technology? It is, yeah, yeah, it is, yeah, yeah. Norwegian
1: company is is challenging challenging the uh, the technology on on the grounds it infringes a, a patent, which Accardo o- is obviously strenuously de- denying. Um, but you know. We've we've talked about Ricardo before and I am mean, not you know I think I I just don't get this company because I, the, the the technology may be brilliant right but I, as I said before what does this technology actually do for customers thing
0: and I guess the example of Costco shows that you don't need super duper whizzy technology that to, to deliver profitability
1: there's a very interesting article online somewhere
0: where the management, I think the chief executive
1: of Costco is interviewed about their online strategy and about how they're doing it differently. I mean, I think the, they've made the comment that a lot of retailers are doing online because they feel they have to do it. Um, and it's not necessarily good for shareholders. And, you know, for, for me about Ocado, Ocado is being, you know, pumped as a, a technology stock. But, but for me, you know, the great thing about technol what makes a technology stock valuable is that the technology solves the problem and creates value for the customer. I'm not convinced what all these automotive warehouses and robots do to, to, to make online grocery retail more profitable than it is now, because it seems to me that no one's making any money out of it. And, you know, you just have to look at a Cardo. And for me, for Ricardo to be valued more than Tesco is just ridiculous.
0: Yeah, it seems, seems like Costco could be the, uh, the horse to back in this space from the looks of things. Um, thanks a lot, Phil. That's um, an interesting note to, to end the podcast on. Um, on the subject of Boohoo that we discussed earlier, um, that is going to be the subject of next week's Not Your Normal Finance show. We're going to have a, a very in-depth look at that and uh, really, really get under the skin of what's been going on there. But uh, anyway, in the meantime, enjoy the rest of your week. and uh, Enjoy the rest of your week, Phil. Thank you, John. And uh, we'll chat again next week. See you later.